Chapter Four of the Queen of Hearts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Hearts by Wilkie Collins. Our Grand Project. Chapter Four, Part Four. I started up, with my heart, as the saying is, in my mouth, with a frightful momentary shuddering at the roots of my hair. I started up breathless, cold and motionless, waiting in the silence I hardly knew for what, doubtful at first whether I had dreamed about the bang at the door, or whether the blow had really been struck on it. In a minute or less there came a second bang, louder than the first. I ran out into the passage. Who's there? let us in answered a voice which i recognized immediately as the voice of shifty dick wait a bit my dear and let me explain said a second voice in the low oily jeering tones of dick's companion the wickedly clever little man whom he called jerry you are alone in the house my pretty little dear you may crack your sweet voice with screeching and there's nobody near to hear you isn't a reason my love and let us in we don't want cider this time we only want a very neat-looking pocket-book which you happen to have and your late excellent mother's four silver teaspoons which you keep so nice and clean on the chimney-piece if you let us in we won't hurt a hair of your head my cherub we promise to go away the moment we have got what we want unless you particularly wish us to stop to tea if you keep us out we shall be obliged to break into the house and then and then burst in shifty dick we'll mash you yes said jerry we'll mash you my beauty but you won't drive us to doing that will you you will let us in this long parley gave me time to recover from the effect which the first bang at the door had produced on my nerves the threats of the two villains would have terrified some women out of their senses but the only result they produced on me was violent indignation I had, thank God, a strong spirit of my own, and the cool, contemptuous insolence of the man Jerry effectually roused it. You cowardly villains, I screamed at them through the door. You think you can frighten me because I'm only a poor girl left alone in the house? You ragamuffin thieves. I defy you both. Our bolts are strong, our shutters are thick. I am here to keep my father's house safe, and keep it I will against an army of you you may imagine what a passion i was in when i vapoured and blustered in that way i heard jerry laugh and shifty dick swear a whole mouthful of oaths then there was a dead silence for a minute or two and then the two ruffians attacked the door i rushed into the kitchen and seized the poker and then heaped wood upon the fire and lighted all the candles i could find for i felt as though i could keep up my courage better if i had plenty of light strange and improbable as it may appear the next thing that attracted my attention was my poor pussy, crouched up, panic-stricken in a corner. I was so fond of the little creature that I took her up in my arms and carried her into my bedroom and put her inside my bed. A comical thing to do in a situation of deadly peril, was it not? But it seemed quite natural and proper at the time. All this while the blows were falling faster and faster on the door. They were dealt, as I conjectured, with heavy stones picked up from the ground outside jerry sang at his wicked work and shifty dick swore as i left the bedroom putting the cat under cover i heard the lower panel of the door begin to crack i ran into the kitchen and huddled our four silver spoons into my pocket 
and then took the unlucky book with the banknotes and put it in the bosom of my dress. I was determined to defend the property confided to my care with my life. Just as I had secured the pocket-book, I heard the door splintering and rushed into the passage again with my heavy kitchen-poker lifted in both hands. I was in time to see the bald head of Jerry with the ugly-looking knobs on it pushed into the passage through a great rent in one of the lower panels of the door. "'Get out, you villain, or I'll brain you on the spot!' I screeched, threatening him with the poker. Mr. Jerry took his head out again much faster than he'd put it in. The next thing that came through the rent was a long pitchfork which they darted at me from the outside to move me from the door. I struck it with all my might, and the blow must have jarred the hand of Shifty Dick up to his very shoulder, for I heard him gave a roar of rage and pain. Before he could catch at the fork with his other hand, I had drawn it inside. By this time even Jerry lost his temper and swore more awfully than Dick himself. Then there came another minute of respite. I suspected they had gone to get bigger stones, and I dreaded the giving away of the whole door. Running into the bedroom as this fear beset me, I laid hold of my chest of drawers, dragged it into the passage, and threw it down against the door. On top of that I heaped my father's big tool-chest, three chairs and a scuttleful of coals, and last I dragged out the kitchen table and rammed it as hard as I could against the whole barricade. They heard me as they were coming up to the door with fresh stones. Jerry said, Stop a bit, then the two consulted together in whispers. I listened eagerly, and just caught these words. Let's try it the other way. Nothing more was said, but I heard their footsteps retreating from the door. Were they going to besiege the back door now? I hardly asked myself that question when I heard their voices at the other side of the house. The back door was smaller than the front, but it had this advantage in the way of strength. It was made of two solid oak boards joined lengthwise, and strengthened inside by heavy cross-pieces. It had no bolts like the front door, but was fastened by a bar of iron running across it in a slanting direction, and fitting at either end into the wall. They must have the whole cottage down before they can break in at that door, I thought to myself, and they soon found out as much for themselves. After five minutes of banging at the back door, they gave up any further attack in that direction and cast their heavy stones down with curses of fury awful to hear. I went into the kitchen and dropped on the window-seat to rest for a moment. Suspense and excitement together were beginning to tell upon me. The perspiration broke out thick on my forehead, and I began to feel the bruises I had inflicted on my hands in making the barricade against the front door. I had not lost a particle of my resolution, but I was beginning to lose strength. There was a bottle of rum in the cupboard, which my brother, the sailor, had left with us the last time he was ashore. I drank a drop of it. Never before or since have I put anything down my throat that did me half so much good as that precious mouthful of rum. I was sitting in the window-seat, drying my face, when I suddenly heard their voices close behind me. They were feeling the outside of the window against which I was sitting. It was protected, like all other windows in the cottage, by iron bars. I listened in dreadful suspense for the sound of filing, but nothing of the sort was audible. They had evidently reckoned on frightening me easily into letting them in, and had come unprovided with housebreaking tools of any kind. A fresh burst of oaths informed me that they had recognised the obstacle of the iron bars. I listened breathlessly for some warning of what they were going to do next, but their voices seemed to die away in the distance. 
they were retreating from the window were they also retreating from the house altogether had they given up the idea of effecting an entrance in despair a long silence followed a silence which tried my courage even more severely than the tumult of their first attack on the cottage dreadful suspicions now beset me of their being able to accomplish by treachery what they had failed to effect by force well as i knew the cottage i began to doubt whether there might not be ways of cunningly and silently entering it against which i was not provided the ticking of the clock annoyed me the crackling of the fire startled me i looked out twenty times in a minute into the dark corners of the passage straining my eyes holding my breath anticipating the most unlikely events the most impossible dangers had they really gone or were they still prowling about the house oh what a sum of money i would have given only to have known what they were about in that interval of silence i was startled at last out of my suspense in the most awful manner a shout from one of them reached my ears on a sudden down in the kitchen chimney it was so unexpected and so horrible in the stillness that i screamed for the first time since the attack on the house my worst forebodings had never suggested me that the two villains might mount upon the roof let us in you she-devil roared a voice down the chimney there was another pause the smoke from the wood fire thin and light as it was was in the red state of the embers at that moment had evidently obliged the man to take his face from the mouth of the chimney i counted the seconds while he was as i conjectured getting his breath again in less than half a minute there came another shout let us in or we'll burn the place down over your head burn it burn what there was nothing easily combustible but the thatch on the roof and that had been well soaked by the heavy rain which had now fallen incessantly for more than six hours burn the place over my head how while i was still casting about wildly in my mind to discover what possible danger there could be of fire one of the heavy stones placed on the thatch to keep it from being torn up by high winds came thundering down the chimney it scattered the live embers on the hearth over the room a richly furnished place with knick-knacks and fine muslin about it would have been set on fire immediately even our bare floor and rough furniture gave out a smell of burning at the first shower of embers which the stone scattered for an instant i stood quite horror-struck before this new proof of the devilish ingenuity of the villains outside but the dreadful danger i was now in recalled me to my senses immediately there was a large canful of water in my bedroom and i ran in at once to fetch it before i could get back to the kitchen a second stone had been thrown down the chimney and the floor was smouldering in several places i had wit enough to let the smouldering go on for a moment or two more and to pour the whole of my canful of water over the fire before the third stone came down the chimney the live embers on the floor i easily disposed of after that the man on the roof must have heard the hissing of the fire as i put it out and have felt the change produced in the air at the mouth of the chimney for after the third stone had descended no more followed it as for either of the ruffians themselves dropping down by the same road along which the stones had come that was not to be dreaded the chimney as i well knew by our experience in cleaning it was too narrow to give passage to any one above the size of a small boy i looked upward as that comforting reflection crossed my mind i looked up and saw as plainly as i see the paper i am writing on now the point of a knife coming through the inside of the roof just over my head our cottage had no upper story and our rooms had no ceilings 
slowly and wickedly the knife wriggled its way through the dry inside thatch between the rafters it stopped for a while and there came a sound of tearing that in its turn stopped too there was a great fall of dry thatch on the floor and i saw the heavy hairy hand of shifty dick armed with the knife come through after the fallen fragments he tapped at the rafters with the back of the knife as if to test their strength thank god they were substantial and close together nothing lighter than a hatchet would have sufficed to remove any part of them the murderous hand was still tapping with the knife when i heard a shout from the man jerry coming from the neighbourhood of my father's stone shed in the back yard the hand and the knife disappeared instantly i went to the back door and put my ear to it and listened both men were now in the shed i made the most desperate efforts to call to mind what tools and other things were left in it which might be used against me but my agitation confused me i could remember nothing except my father's big stone saw which was far too heavy and unwieldy to be used on the roof of the cottage i was still puzzling my brains and making my head swim to no purpose when i heard the men dragging something out of the shed at the same instant that the noise caught my ear the remembrance flashed across me like lightning of some beams of wood which had laid in the shed for years past i had hardly time to feel certain that they were removing one of these beams before i heard shifty dick say to jerry which door the front was the answer we've cracked it already we'll have it down now in no time senses less sharpened by danger than mine would have understood but too easily from these words that they were about to use the beam as a battering ram against the door when that conviction overcame me i lost courage at last i felt that the door must come down no such barricade as i had constructed could support it for more than a few minutes against such shocks as it was now to receive i can do no more to keep the house against them i said to myself with my knees knocking together and the tears at last beginning to wet my cheeks i must trust to the night and the thick darkness and save my life by running for it while there was still yet time i huddled on my cloak and hood and had my hand on the bar of the back door when a piteous mew from the bedroom reminded me of the existence of poor pussy i ran in and huddled the creature up in my apron before i was out in the passage again the first shock from the beam fell on the door the upper hinge gave way the chairs and coal scuttle forming the top of my barricade were hurled rattling on to the floor but the lower hinge of the door and the chest of drawers and the tool chest still kept their places one more i heard the villains cry one more run with a beam and down it comes just as they must have been starting for that one more run i opened the back door and fled into the night with a book full of banknotes in my bosom the silver spoons in my pocket and the cat in my arms i threaded my way easily enough through the familiar obstacles in the back yard and was out in the pitch darkness of the moor before i heard the second shock and the crash which told me that the whole door had given way in a few minutes they must have discovered the fact of my flight with a pocket-book for i heard shouts in the distance as if they were running out to pursue me i kept on the top of my speed and the noise soon died away it was so dark that twenty thieves instead of two would have found it useless to follow me how long it was before i reached the farmhouse the nearest place to which i could fly for refuge i cannot tell you i remember that i had just sense enough to keep the wind at my back having observed in the beginning of the evening that it blew toward moor farm and to go on resolutely through the darkness 
in all other respects i was by this time half crazed by what i had gone through if it had so happened that the wind had changed after i had observed its direction early in the evening i should have gone astray and have probably perished of fatigue and exposure on the moor providentially it still blew steadily as it had blown for hours past and i reached the farmhouse with my clothes wet through and my brain in a high fever when i made my alarm at the door they had all gone to bed but the farmer's eldest son who was sitting up late over his pipe and newspaper i just mustered strength enough to gasp out a few words telling him what was the matter and then fell down at his feet for the first time in my life in a dead swoon that swoon was followed by a severe illness when i got strong enough to look about me again i found myself in one of the farmhouse beds my father mrs knifton and the doctor were all in the room my cat was asleep at my feet and the pocket-book that i had saved lay on the table by my side there was plenty of news for me to hear as soon as i was fit to listen to it shifty dick and the other rascal had been caught and were in prison waiting their trial at the next assizes mr and mrs knifton had been so shocked at the danger i had run for which they blamed their own want of thoughtfulness in leaving the pocket-book in my care that they had insisted on my father's removing from our lonely home to a cottage on their land which we were to inhabit rent-free the banknotes that i had saved were given to me to buy furniture with in place of the things that the thieves had broken these pleasant tidings assisted me so greatly in promoting my recovery that i was soon able to relate to my friends at the farmhouse particulars that i have written here they were all surprised and interested but no one as i thought listened to me with such breathless attention as the farmer's eldest son mrs knifen noticed this too and began to make jokes about it in her light-hearted way as soon as we were alone i thought little of her jesting at the time but when i got well and we went to live at our new home the young farmer as he was called in our parts constantly came to see us and constantly managed to meet me out of doors i had my share of vanity like other young women and i began to think of mrs knifton's jokes with some attention to be brief the young farmer managed one sunday i could never tell how to lose his way with me in returning from church and before we found out the right road home again he had asked me to be his wife his relations did all they could to keep us asunder and break off the match thinking a poor stonemason's daughter no fit wife for a prosperous yeoman but the farmer was too obstinate for them he had one form of answer to all their objections a man if he is worth the name marries according to his own notions and to please himself he used to say my notion is that when i take a wife i am placing my character and my happiness the most precious things i have to trust in one woman's care the woman i mean to marry had a small charge confided to her care and showed herself worthy of it at the risk of her life that is proof enough for me that she is worthy of the greatest charge i can put in her hands rank and riches are fine things but the certainty of getting a good wife is something better still i am of age i know my own mind and i mean to marry the stonemason's daughter and he did marry me whether i prove myself worthy or not of his good opinion is a question which i must leave you to ask to my husband all that i had to relate about myself and my doings is now told whatever interest my perilous adventure may excite ends i am well aware with my escape to the farmhouse i have only ventured on writing these few additional sentences because my marriage is the moral of my story 
it has brought me the choicest blessings of happiness and prosperity and i owe them all to my night adventure in the black cottage the second day a clear cloudless bracing autumn morning i rose gaily with a pleasant conviction on my mind that our experiment had thus far been successful beyond our hopes short and slight as the first story had been the result of it on jessie's mind had proved conclusive before i could put a question to her she declared of her own accord and with her customary exaggeration that she had definitely abandoned all idea of writing to her aunt until our collection of narratives was exhausted i am in a fever of curiosity about what is to come she said when we all parted for the night and even if i wanted to leave you i could not possibly go away now without hearing the stories to the end well so far so good all my anxieties from this time were for george's return again to-day i searched the newspapers and again there were no tidings of the ship miss jessie occupied the second day by a drive to our country town to make some little purchases owen and morgan and i were all hard at work during her absence on the stories that still remained to be completed owen desponded about ever getting done morgan grumbled at what he called the absurd difficulty of writing nonsense i worked on smoothly and contentedly stimulated by the success of the first night we assembled as before in our guest's sitting-room as the clock struck eight she drew out the second card it was number two the lot had fallen on me to read next although my story is told in the first person i said addressing jessie you must not suppose that the events related in this particular case happened to me they happened to a friend of mine who naturally described them to me from his own personal point of view in producing my narrative from the recollection of what he told me some years since i have supposed myself to be listening to him again and have therefore written it in his character and whenever my memory would help me as nearly as possible in his language also by this means i hope i have succeeded in giving an air of reality to a story which has truth at any rate to recommend it i must ask you to excuse me if i enter into no details in offering this short explanation although the persons concerned in my narrative have ceased to exist it is necessary to observe all due delicacy towards their memories who they were and how i became acquainted with them are matters of no moment the interest of the story such as it is stands in no need in this instance of any assistance from personal explanation with these words i addressed myself to my task and read as follows End of chapter 4 part 4